0: Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from three passages. First of all, we read some verses from Leviticus 19, and then we turn to Titus 3, and finally we pay attention to 1 John chapter 3. So beginning then in Leviticus, we read from chapter 19, the verses 18, sorry, 15 through 18. Hear the word of our God, you shall do no injustice in court, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Turn now to the New Testament and we read, first of all, from Titus 3, the verses 1 through 8. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And finally, we turn to the first letter of John, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So far our scripture reading. This afternoon we pay attention to God's instruction in the 10th, sorry, in the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, as the church has summarized that instruction and we confess it in Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 40, on page 555 of our Books of Praise. What does God require in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words or gestures and much less by deeds whether personally or through another. Rather I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder God teaches us that he hates the root of murder – such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. After the preaching of God's word, our Amen song is Psalm 19, stanzas 5 and 6. Psalm 19, stanzas 5 and 6 after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that first section of the first answer of our Lord's Day is quite a list. I'm not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds. It's a lot more than just do not kill, do not murder. Talking about your thoughts, your words, even your gestures. And that's the, the point that question 106 is getting at. Does this commandment speak only of killing? Isn't it just about killing? There's a lot to be talking about here. Even your thoughts, your gestures and so on. And as the answer 106 explains... This is how it works in God's law. By by forbidding murder, that you kill your neighbor, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge. Yes, the Lord has given us command, you shall not murder. One thing is prohibited. But just see how far-reaching this is when you unpack it and when you see what is all involved. It's broad. It's deep. And this commandment reaches right to our struggle against character traits. So this afternoon we pay attention to the instruction of our God in this commandment under this theme, your Saviour God changes you from haters into those who love their neighbours. The first point, abhor the very root of of murder, and secondly, truly love your neighbor. So your Savior God changes you from haters into those who love their neighbors. First point, abhor the very root of murder, and secondly, truly love your neighbor. Abhor the very root of murder. We need to go back in our minds to the beginning, before there was any evil in the world, when God created man and woman in His image. And He gave them that beautiful task, that all-embracing task to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, develop this world to God's glory. To do that together, have children and with those children and, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren work together on that command of looking after this earth, developing it to the glory of God. And if you just meditate on that for a while, if the fall into sin hadn't happened, what a life, what a world that would have been. A loving, supporting Working together, society, a growing population, all working together, helping each other for the glory of God. And then you see how murder breaks the fabric of society. That's how it should have been. The fallen to sin brought distrust, accusations already between Adam and Eve, pointing the finger. Hatred, and eventually death. Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. Talk about a working together community, loving each other. How far away was that from that? And that that kind of attitude, that quickly spread. It's only chapter 4 of Genesis that we're in, and then you hear about how that's unfolding. You get that man in the family of Cain, that Lamech who says, my wives, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And that Lamech style became more common became more and more common so that you get a couple of chapters later in Genesis to Genesis 6, verse 13, where God has to say to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. And why? For the earth is filled with violence. I'm going to destroy them with the earth. One commentator explaining that picture of the earth being filled with violence Spoken this way about antisocial, unneighbourly activity, cold-blooded and unscrupulous infringement on the rights of others, motivated by greed and hate and using physical violence and brutality. You get that picture of Lamech and then unfolding in a society-wide development. Noah alone stood out as being just, perfect, in his generation gone gone was that community working together in love and support and kindness and yes they still developed the earth it was the very sons of lamach that we read about developed musical instruments developed metals living in tents and so on but it was a hateful violence filled civilization Murder destroys people created to image God. Although long, although fallen man is no longer able to image God, it remains that that is what he was created for. That's what makes man different from the animals. And that's why even after the fall, murder continued to be condemned by God. Genesis nine. Where the Lord said, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God was saying, human life is precious. Think about the reason for which I created it. And so that's society being corrupted, contaminated, damaged by murder. And scriptures make clear, murders don't come out of the blue. They are rooted in hatred the act of murder is when that comes to fruit but there's a whole range behind that of deeds of words of thoughts and desires and they're all being condemned that's why the scripture condemns those things as murder too 1 john three fifteen. whoever hates his brother is a murderer that's how the apostle john puts it hatred hating your brother that's being a murderer and who then when you see that can claim to be guiltless of murder do you see congregation how understanding the things that are behind murder but they too are included in, in murder. Do you see how this brings it so much closer to home? Those roots of community destroying things. We saw how it was in the world after the fall, before the flood, and how murder filled the world with violence. But those roots of community destroying things are a lot closer to us than we sometimes like to think. In Galatians chapter 5. Apostle Paul describes that war between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. And he says the works of the flesh include hatred, contentions, outbursts of wrath, envy. These things have to be crucified in the believer. In other words, learn to hate these things, these things that stand behind murder. Learn to hate them more and more. And we'll work through those those vices together to think them through, to also reflect on our lives, our practices. With forbidding murder, God teaches us, he hates the root of murder such as envy. We'll start with that one. When you have envy, then you begrudge something that someone has. You begrudge it. And it's more than desiring what that person has, but they've got something and you want to see them deprived of it. You want to see it taken away from them. You might resent someone's popularity or their wealth or their wisdom, or their happy marriage and family life. And you can't wait to find out that it wasn't as good as it looked. Whereas we should be thinking of the others as being called to serve God with everything that they have. And then when you see them that they've got particular things, rather than envy them for that, You think these people have been given these things so that they can use them to serve God more. That changes your perspective. Envy. Catechism also mentions the vice of hatred. Think of Joseph's brothers who hated him, they hated him because the way his father showed him extra favor. And those dreams that he had that seemed to say that they would all one day bow down before him. Joseph, come on. They hated him. but see what it led to. We read in Genesis chapter 37, when they finally get their chance to put that hatred into practice. Genesis 37, verse 19 and 20. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him. We will see what will become of his dreams. And although Reuben rescues him from their hands, yet they end up agreeing to sell him into slavery instead, which was hardly much better to hate is to have no care for the other. To want to see them brought down, destroyed. Rather than to see the other person as having been created with that calling and purpose to image God and and seek to build them up in that. That's how the world lived, wrote Paul in Titus. And we join them in that, in that way of living. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves are once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's the natural way of living without the Holy Spirit. Even when there might be a facade of love to be hating and hateful. And that's why hatred in the church amongst the people in whom the Holy Spirit is working is so much more serious when such people hate each other. It's understandable when you don't have the Holy Spirit that that's how you live. It's far worse in the church. And so we have those words of the Apostle John in chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God... And hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How can you love God and hate your brother who's been called to image God and through the Holy Spirit is beginning to do that more and more? John says you are a liar. And as we read already in 1 John 3, Those who hate are murderers. See, something of the seriousness of hatred. And then there's the vice of anger. Now the Scripture clearly teaches that there's a place for righteous anger. As the Scriptures also teach, there is a place for the use of alcohol. But both with anger and alcohol, the Scriptures also warn so clearly about its abuse. Anger and wrath are so destructive for the life of the neighbor. You think of Jacob coming to the end of his life and then pronouncing those blessings on his sons. Many of them are in fact blessings, but with some of them there's the element of curse. And here what Jacob said about Simeon and Levi. They are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel the book of proverbs also teaches us much about the vice of anger proverbs chapter 15 verse 18 there we read a hot tempered man stirs up strife wrath an outburst of anger easily leads to to violence you know, wrath carries with it that, that threat of destruction nearby when someone gets really mad. And it can be used. It can be used in a marriage. You use it to intimidate your spouse, anger, or your children. Or you use anger in your conversations with fellow believers to, to make them scared of you, to make them scared to speak back to you. We're required to seek the well being of our neighbor, to, to save his life, to serve his life. That means we are called to speak edifying things to one another. And if someone is in the wrong, that you work to convince them, to point it out to them, and you encourage them to see it right. But outbursts of wrath, getting mad, losing your temper, that's counterproductive. Makes the other person defensive, scared, and then you cannot discuss, and then you're not serving the life of your neighbour anymore. Do you see how destructive outbursts of wrath are for the people of God? The Lord Jesus spoke out very strongly against unrighteous wrath. I think of his words in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 21 and 22 and he said there you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in will be liable to judgment but i say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment lord jesus is putting sinful anger on one level with murder the apostle paul makes clear how close sin is to anger when he says in ephesians chapter 5 sorry in ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 be angry and do not sin the devil quickly finds room for his work in our anger Purpose. Maybe there is a time that it's necessary to be angry, but the purpose must be correction of an offense. But but even then be be very careful. Don't let the devil have room, says the apostle Paul. Give no opportunity to the devil. Sinful anger is anger that is hasty. Again, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter fourteen, verse seventeen. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. In verse 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper, he exalts folly. He'll do stupid things. Tempers are dangerous, brothers and sisters, to be abhorred. Tempers do not build community do not serve the life the well-being of our neighbor and then our lord's day also speaks about desire of revenge and notice even the wording on desire it's even behind the act first of all the desire someone has wronged you they've made a fool of you they've let you down they've hurt you And you get a strong desire inside to retaliate. To make them feel something of what you are feeling. And sometimes the thought can even give pleasure to make them feel it. But then you're not seeking their well-being, but their demise. And God made clear in Leviticus chapter 19, the passage we read, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans Romans chapter 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Something that Joseph understood. Think of how his brothers mistreated him. And he wasn't out there to get them. Or David, who was being persecuted by Saul in such a terrible way, wouldn't take revenge when he had the opportunity right in front of him. You think of the Apostle Paul. Reflect something similar. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Vengeance belongs to God. And that doesn't mean, congregation, that the government has no task to punish evil. The Lord has given the sword into the hand of the government. But people are not to take this task upon themselves, not even in their thoughts. And it also doesn't mean that when your neighbour sins against you, you just take it. Especially if that person in doing that is refusing to break with his sin. It's quite striking, that passage that we read from Leviticus chapter 19... Where it says there, you shall reason frankly with your neighbour, as some translations have, you shall rebuke your neighbour, lest you incur sin because of him. He's in the wrong. There's going to be times that you need to rebuke him, correct him. But then it's added, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. Congregation, when you think about that, that envy at hatred, at anger, desire of revenge. That's what the Lord is condemning in this commandment. And then you realise how deeply that reaches into our hearts, this commandment. For when you do these things, when you envy, when you hate, when you give in to tempers and anger and desire of revenge, And you're not focusing on the life and the well-being of your neighbour. Does that bring you low when you reflect on that, when you consider your life in the mirror of God's law? How easy it is for us to lose our temper, to let someone feel an outburst of wrath. How hard it is to resist envy Wishing that things weren't as good as what they looked in the life of the neighbor. God's law condemns us as murderers. And that's why we're so much in need of that that gospel. That gospel about our Savior who loved his neighbor so much, he laid down his life for his neighbor. His enemies, they hated him, the psalms say, without cause. But he only ever did good for them. And that's so comforting for us sinners. As we examine our hearts and lives in light of this commandment, as we discover depths in our hearts that are not pretty, to look at our Saviour. When you struggle with revengeful thoughts, look at your Saviour who when he was reviled, did not revile In return, says the Apostle Peter, be comforted too by His self-control. His anger was contained. He kept it within righteous limits. Perfectly righteous to cover our unrighteousness before God. Be comforted too by His constant love for His neighbor. Even as He admonished them, He admonished The Pharisees, but he even had to sometimes admonish his disciples. But he had constant love. We squirm in light of this commandment. It reaches to the depths of our hearts, our characters, that accusation of murderer. But he was put to death, and death is the fitting punishment for a murderer he was taking our place flee to your savior who delighted to save murderers god reveals his great love and mercy for us sinners by giving us such a savior by giving us the lord jesus christ to save a people who struggle with their tempers who sometimes give in to envy who struggle against that desire of revenge, sometimes find it so hard to love. God reveals His love by giving us Christ to save us, to cover our unrighteousness with His perfect righteousness. And that salvation that our loving God gives, our Savior God, is not just covering our sin and guilt, but also that Washing of regeneration, that renewal that He works in us through the Holy Spirit. The salvation that our God gives includes changing us. And that's why in the second point we can pay attention to the other side. The calling that comes to us to truly love your neighbor. We need to consider the words of Titus chapter 3. Verse 4, Titus 3 verse 4, after saying, these are the kind of people we were, hated by others and hating one another, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared. And that, that word for loving kindness of God is in Greek philanthropos, that loving of man. Like the love for humanity that God shows, as the Lord Jesus spoke in John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world. That loving kindness of God. Not for every last person of the human race, but humanity as a whole. That love for man was seen in the coming of Jesus Christ. God cared so much about the humanity that He had created in His image. And so he sent salvation to to save murderers, haters. And that salvation that Christ brings includes sanctification, that renewal, that change. And that's why writing to the church, the church of Jesus Christ who are being saved and changed by their Savior through his Spirit, The apostle can say, remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy to all people. In the gospel you see the love of God for you so that you can love others. That's why. The command to love your neighbor as yourself comes to you. God has shown love in giving you salvation to change you. And then he commands you to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, you have that flesh that struggles in you to go into the ways of the evil one. But you also have the Holy Spirit who renews you, who regenerates you, who changes you. And that spirit commands love your neighbor as yourself but that spirit also promises to work in you and change you more and more and loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't equal some kind of selfish love but as the apostle paul said in ephesians chapter 5 about loving husbands love your wife as christ Love the church. And then he says in verse 29, Ephesians five twenty nine, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. You love your own flesh. You look after your body, don't you? You know what you need. You know what your body needs to do the task that you've been given and you make sure you provide for it. that's how we are to love our neighbor make sure they have what they need to do their task be sensitive to their needs care about them do unto others as you would have them deal with you and then you're not only going to be concerned about their physical welfare but even their spiritual welfare and you'll be a good neighbor even to unbelieving neighbors, and seek their eternal well-being by doing good deeds towards them, that they too may come to that point where they glorify your Father in heaven. And that doing good unto your neighbor becomes so much richer in the church, because then neighborly love becomes brotherly love. Because then you see your fellow members of the church as image bearers like you. They will know themselves as having the same calling as you and you love them and want to serve them in them carrying out again in a new way that serving God as His image. The message of the gospel is God renews you for that. God makes dead sinners alive to good works. As the apostle Paul says in, sorry, the Apostle John in 1 John 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's the amazing reality of being born of God, of being regenerated, that you can love. That's what the Holy Spirit would do in you. Change you. He makes you alive. As God's people, we are often painfully aware of the power of the flesh. And don't we struggle against that? That envy, hatred, anger, desire of revenge. And the comfort of the gospel is that your Savior changes you that fundamentally that it's going to affect your character more and more. And God promises to work in you what He commands. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, Those are born of me, they love. And then there's also those other unfolding of that command to love is it enough then the last question and answer that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way no when god condemns envy hatred and anger he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves to show patience peace gentleness mercy and friendliness toward him that patience that makes you slow to anger think of how the apostle paul describes that to timothy the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness patience that's what the lord calls us to that's what he would work in us through his holy spirit also, peace. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Gentleness, meekness. See how different that is from outbursts of wrath. Then you won't intimidate. When you're gentle, meek, you seek to build up. Show to him or her mercy and friendliness. Consider what God has shown you and show that to one another. And so congregation, let the fruit of the Spirit be seen in your character. Cry out for the Spirit to work in you. For the desires of the Spirit, says Paul, are against the desires of the flesh. With characters being changed and moulded like this, you build up community and you seek to serve one another, build each other up. That's why the church is such a special place to be, where the Holy Spirit is changing people from haters into those who love. Yes, there's still going to be weaknesses and shortcomings, but the change will be there where God is working a taste of what He intended in the beginning when He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, work together, help each other develop this earth. In the church, where people love each other and look at each other and say, how can I serve him or her in their task of imaging God How this love is also essential in our marriages and homes so that we love each other, love our neighbor as ourselves. The Apostle Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Love your wife as your own body, and then you will do good, even to your enemies. You know, the Lord had made that clear already in Exodus chapter 23. He said, There, Exodus 23, verse 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, the temptation will be, he's my enemy, let him suffer loss, I don't care. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Do good even to your enemies. That's what the Holy Spirit would work in you as he regenerates you, as he changes you, which is why Christians are to be so kind and generous, even to those who make it hard for them. The desires of the flesh, yes, they are against the Spirit. And the desire of the Spirit is against the flesh. There's a struggle, and we're going to experience that struggle with the Spirit working in us, changing us. But that that powerful old nature, which brings forth hatred, anger, desire, revenge so easily. But congregation, the battle, is not hopeless. The Holy Spirit is God. He is stronger. And so as people of God look forward to the renewed earth, to that restored humanity where you will serve God in all perfection. A restored humanity completely conformed to God's image. Rejoice. Also as you experience a foretaste of that today in the church. God has shown love and kindness toward man. And that is why there is that being renewed community in the church. And because of his love, also our love will soon be perfected. Amen.